Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host Dave McRae from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute and today we'll be speaking about politicised law enforcement in Indonesia. The past few years have seen repeated questioning of the independent workings of police, the prosecutors and the courts in Indonesia, raising from accusations that prosecutions have been used to limit opposition or coerce support for the government, to suspicions that the outcome of high-profile cases, such as the blasphemy prosecution against then Jakarta Governor Basuki Cahaya Panama, or AHOK, had as much to do with societal pressure and political considerations as it did with the letter of the law. To discuss the question of the independent working of Indonesia's law enforcement and judicial institutions, I'm joined today by Dian Rositawati, Chair of the Board of the Indonesian Institute for an Independent Judiciary, or LEIP. Dian has been closely involved in judicial reform in Indonesia for two decades and is currently also undertaking a PhD at Tilburg University. Tita, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dave, for having me here. No, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on Talking Indonesia. Now, could I start by asking you just a very basic question of when we look at the workings of police prosecutors and the courts in Indonesia today, how independent really are they? If we look at from institutional perspective, I think the judiciary of, uh, in Indonesia, I think, have greater independence compared to before reform era. And also, interestingly, I think institutionally, the police and also the prosecutor's office is also independent. If we look at from institutional perspective, because sometimes they are too independent. So it's like check and balances, because like in other countries, the coordination between the police and the prosecutor's office can be so helpful in making the process more efficient. But in Indonesia, because it's too autonomous to each other, so it's create impact in terms of the way they conduct due process of law which sometimes also making the process inefficient. So in that way, I think that we can say that institutionally they're quite independent. However, there's also problems in terms of internal independence because if there are two independents, oftentimes there are some problems of how they can be influenced by their superior or their colleague. Or, for instance, in terms of police and prosecutor's office, I think because they are the arms of the government, I don't think they cannot be totally liberated from the influence of the government, which is actually normal <laughs> because they are the law apparatus of the executive. But, yeah, in practice, it can be very dynamic. So, I mean, when the government does seek to influence the outcome of a legal case, how does it go about doing that? How would it intervene and and at what stage of proceedings? This is interesting because in different cases, the government sometimes also lose in the trial. So the result can be mixed. But the way they intervene, sometimes we imagine that government, if they're trying to intervene in the prosecution office or the police, they will call someone in the prosecutor, in the high rank of officer. But that's... That's probably happened, but I think the most interesting thing is that 
because the those two institution the police and the prosecutors feels that, that they are part of the government it's already the cultures of the organization that they will act as the arms of the government so they will act naturally in some cases where the government involved they will act naturally as part of the government so it sometimes independence can be a difficult things because they're in the mindset they're already not independent in that sense could you give us an example of how government influence would work in practice what sort of cases they would be seeking to influence and how they would do so in some cases i think most cases that really vulnerable to the government influences is the cases where the government have economic interests for example in the environmental law cases for example where it involves a government's modality or government interests in other thing is the conflict between political parties for example or in a corruption cases which involve a political party so sometimes it's also not easy to differentiate between whether it is a government interest in general or an interest of officials in the government sure sure no that's a that's a good point and i mean it does this happen on a case by case basis or is this something that say you know if we if we go back to 2014 when the Jokowi government was first elected would a new administration start to place their own people in police and the prosecutor's office even the courts so that they had an ability to influence the outcome of cases i'm sure that also happened because we know that how the selections in the law apparatus officials are also not as independent or based on merit system but is more based on a like and dislike so if you more favor to or loyal to a government interest you will be surely easy for you to get the selection to get to the first rank of a position which will give the government a benefit to control more on the the way the the police or the prosecutors work for example i think majority of cso are were concerned about the appointment of the attorney general in the past in 2014 and are still the complaints still now being raised by the cso this is prosetio the attorney general who had a background in the national democratic party a key supporter of the yeah, Jokowi government exactly. yeah. yeah because of their affiliation with the political party so when we look at the police and prosecutors putting aside the courts for a second you mentioned earlier that it's natural for there to be some government influence over the working of these two institutions because they are after all part of the executive arm of government but if we look at how these institutions have operated over say the past 5 to 10 years in Indonesia has it been a fairly natural pattern of relations with the broader government or do we see more intervention into their workings than than what we might see in other countries comparing to other country i think the possibility of uh, having intervention in the way the prosecution office and police here in indonesia is greater because internally the organization is work uh, the hierarchy is so controlling and individually they don't have much more independent compared to their colleague in other country for example like the prosecutors in indonesia for example they individually it is hard for them to decide for example whether they 
want to indict or to give indictment to people without consulting to their superior. While the police actually also have that uh, similar situation. And also the other problem is the relationship between the police and the prosecutors. Well, in other countries, for example, the investigations or the indictment process of uh, criminal cases is led by prosecutors. In Indonesia, it's different because, as I said before, it's so autonomous. In many cases, it is the police who's actually, in fact, lead or can be decide what type of cases to bring about to the court because there are the first officer who deal with the cases in the field and then the prosecutors will respond to whatever the uh, police give to them rather than actually give a priority or decide what, what type of cases that the prosecutor would bring to the court. So uh, I, I guess the impression I get is that if you're someone within the government or say a political party seeking to influence legal cases, if you could put pressure on or provide incentive to a senior member of the police or a senior prosecutor, you could be fairly confident that the rank and file members of their institutions who are actually handling the cases would fall into line and provide the the outcome that you wanted. Is is that about right? Yeah, that's right. And also, if I may say, the modus that they usually have in some such cases is by actually deliberately making a very poor indictment, for example, or not providing evidence in the court. So it will make the result of the court decision are more controllable because they are already intervened from the beginning of the process. And I mean, when we look at, I guess, in particular, the police and prosecutors for a start, what is their view of these efforts to influence their workings by the government more broadly, people within it, or by other external parties? Is this something that they resent? Is it something that they welcome? Is it something they're not too concerned about? What is their view on the on these efforts to, to influence their work? I do believe that there are also police prosecutors of judges or judges that attempt to avoid such influence because, as I mentioned earlier, that the influence of the government or other political parties or interests also have an institutional problem. So sometimes it's difficult to avoid uh, such thing to happen. But I think now there is also, for example, a young a younger judges in Indonesia. If we if I look at the how they discuss about um, cases or how they discuss about uh, how their leadership position to some of the cases, it shows that there are different dynamic or. There are now a new discourse where the organization is no longer a uniform organization where everyone has the same opinion. That's in the judiciary. Although I think in police or prosecutors, that probably more difficult to happen because, for example, um, why the judges have more independent mind, for example, because they receive greater salary, which make them financially independent compared to their colleague in the prosecutors or the police. So to act independent for them institutionally are also more more difficult if they think that they are wants to avoid or to attempt to reject the influence from the external or from the internal like their superior or their colleague. When you 
talk about judges have higher salaries than police and prosecutors and so are able to be more independent. Um, could I ask you just to explain that a bit further? I mean, is the salary relevant because bribes or other patronage is, is the way that influence happens? Is it fear of missing out on promotions if you don't fall into line and provide the appropriate outcome in cases? Uh, what, what are the mechanisms of, of influence within those institutions? First, if we talk about salary, I think for the prosecutors and for the police, it's still a problem because they receive quite low salary compared to judges, for example. So they are more vulnerable to influence and bribery from people who want to influence them which I think salary should be one of the issues that need to be solved. But a salary is not one of the major problem because there is also a system where police and prosecutors and also the judges are part of the larger system of civil servant career where transfers and promotions is also part of their career. And in Indonesia, where there is a gap geographically between offices. It creates pressure for them to actually can be positioned in a place where they feel that they can more easily function. For example, like the difference between Jakarta and Papua is so fast that people will avoid to go to Papua or to other remote places in Indonesia. And to be able to do that, they need to give services or to do something in favor to their decision makers in the organization. So in that sense, the influence from the decision makers in the organization, it influenced them in the way they act or functioning as a prosecutor or police or a judges. When you have a case like when Budi Gunawan, then Jokowi's nominee for police chief, was made a suspect by the Anti-Corruption Commission just after Jokowi had nominated him, and then he filed a pre-trial motion against the prosecution and succeeded in the South Jakarta District Court from memory on what many observers judged to be fairly dubious grounds. There were a, a lot of media attention on the case, a, a lot of criticism of the court's decision in that respect. When you have that sort of public criticism, that public scrutiny, be it on the courts, the prosecutors, or, or the police, does that actually have any deterrent effect on manipulation of cases, or is this something that those institutions are largely comfortable with and know that they can withstand? Since you mentioned about Budiguna one case, I probably have a slightly different opinion on that, mm. uh, because I agree that this case is a one examples of how public pressure work but in that case is actually politicization can also happen for example to KPK <laughs> the KPK or KPK is the corruption eradication commission well uh, naming Budi Gunawan as a suspect because such pressure to disagree on Budi Gunawan appointment at the time is also create the politicization for the KPK, I think, to actually accuse Budi Gunawan without proper or enough evidence. In that sense, I think the case become weak. And when the court declared in the prior trial hearing that Budi Gunawan actually 
win in such cases, it become a little bit complicated because some of the civil society, they are disagree with the outcome of the cases. But I think in, if we look at the court judgment and how the KPK is doing in that cases, they also not doing a really good job on trying to prove that Budi Gunawan is actually can be convicted in that case. So it's a little bit complicated in that way. It's an interesting point that you raise there. I, I, I guess for me, the broader point that links to is, is the question of, does the letter of the law matter at all once a case becomes politicized? And and I guess from this Budi Gunawan case, you're, you're saying that it does, that even though this became a high profile case, there was pressure on the KPK to declare him a suspect quickly because he'd been nominated as police chief, pressure also presumably on, on the working of the courts who decided that case, that ultimately it, it's come down to the, the case against him was weak. Is that a broader pattern that even if a case does become politicized, the law still does matter and the facts of the case still does matter? Or is that an exception rather than a rule in, in the case of the Budi Gunawan prosecution in that respect? I still think that the facts still does matter in a case where it has been politicized. But the issues, I think, is more on how the defendants or the defense lawyer or the prosecutors prepare the cases, because I think in some of the cases in Indonesia where it has been politicized, we're then discuss about the politics rather than rather discuss about the substance of the law, which make the politicization is even greater. If I may observe some of the lawyers who respond in different cases like novel cases or other corruption cases, they discuss more about politics rather than discuss more about the legal substance. So I think the main problem also in Indonesia that makes politicizations of cases even greater is that because we are too focused on politics rather than focusing on the quality of the legal substance, which in general I think is lacking, not only in the sides of the legal apparatus like police or uh, prosecutors or the judges, but also in the sides of the defense lawyers and legal aid, we have to admit that at some point the problems of legal quality is poor in Indonesia and it's give rise to more and more politicizations of the cases. Now, you mentioned earlier the case of Busuki Cahaya Panama or Ahok, the then Jakarta governor who was convicted of blasphemy in 2017 in, in the middle well, convicted after the Jakarta gubernatorial elections, but the prosecution ran through the length of that elections and you had massive Islamist mobilization against his candidacy at the time. I think a lot of people perceive that that case and then the cases that were brought against some of Ahok's opponents in the months after his conviction kind of marked an escalation of politicization of law enforcement and the workings of the courts in Indonesia. Would you agree with that or, or is the picture more complex? I think politicization before Ahok, it's also happened. Although we feel that politicization after Ahok case and recently is increased, but it I think it's more because now the society is more divided than before. So any politicization of cases will appear more explicitly. And also the use of social media, I think, also increased the level of politicization. And 
it has been used and as an instrument to divide the society for political reason. So I think the problems now in such cases of politicization, it can create greater impact to society in general compared to before. Because before, for example, during the the previous governments, it has happened, but people in general mostly not informed what actually happened. So they feel that nothing is going on. But actually, I think if you look at cases, it's it's the same, but how the people get it, getting the information now and how the politicization has been used to divide the society, that's the impact that is getting stronger that we feel now compared to before. On that AHOC case, you mentioned the prosecution of Budi Gunawan that was halted by his pretrial motion that, in fact, the case against him was fairly weak. And so some of the criticism from civil society figures may not have been entirely on the mark. If we look at the Ahok case, how precisely did politicization operate there? I mean, we've seen a lot of criticism of the judgment in that case of his conviction, uh, that the evidence against him was, was actually fairly weak. Is that how you would see it? And, and how did influence operate during that case, do you think? Blasphemy, I think, is a unique cases because in our research most of the blasphemy cases that find that the defendant guilty are mostly have a public pressure surrounding the 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 cases so in ahok we, we can see that the public pressure has been created in that way that if we compare it to how the the poor indictment has been created or how the judges prove the elements of uh, blasphemy in Ahok cases, which if we look at the court judgment, we can as easily say that it's actually the facts is not sufficient to prove the elements of crime. But it happened actually, including like we, if we see the court judgment that the politician is actually happened. And I mean, there was a lot of focus on the fact that several of the judges who handled his case were promoted immediately after they convicted him. Was that likely to be an, an avenue of influence on, on the outcome of the case? We find that actually all uh, the judges, the trial Ahok cases, is actually has been promoted even before. The decision has been taken before they decided the cases, but the publications of the promotion appear after the judgment has been delivered. So people naturally think that it's a result of the influence of the uh, of the court but it's actually not happened that way however in other cases there are also cases where judges being demoted to other places because of the court decision there is one cases in central jakarta district court on pre-trial hearing against one of the cases brought by kpk which named the former vice president Budiono as one of the suspects. And at the time, the court judgment is in favor for Budiono to be brought to trial based on those pre-trial hearings. But apparently, there is a disagreement from the Supreme Court on that court judgment, disagreement, uh, uh, quote-unquote. And the judge is being demoted. And clearly, there is a statement from the chief justice saying that the judges being demoted because of that decision. Now, I mean, apart from the conviction of Ahok on fairly 
weak grounds in, in the face of extreme societal pressure. You then had these cases, various prosecutions brought against the people who had mobilized against him, which prompted you know, a, a figure like Habib Rizik to choose to stay in Saudi Arabia while the case against him was brought. We've then seen this flow on into the 2019 elections. And, and around those elections, we've seen claims that the threat of prosecution was used to coerce figures to support the Jokowi government, that the police were more responsive to complaints made to them about opposition figures than what they were about government supporters. What is your view of how independent and impartial was the operation of law enforcement in in the context of those 2019 elections? Was it a tool the government was able to use or, or was the picture more complex than that? I must agree that there is a perception in general that the law enforcement has been like targeting opposition figures. And I think if we look at clearly on each of the cases, I fuse that there is an imbalanced reaction in some of the cases involving opposition because, for example, the failure of the police and prosecutors to balance the implementations of due process of law and protection of human rights for example, in the issues of the freedom of expression, because most of the cases involve balancing between the crime of hate speech with the freedom of expression. And in some of the cases, I don't see that there is actually sufficient evidence to brought the case into the judicial system. However, the police is actually can be easily to brought people to, to, to trial without ever trying to balance between those principles. So how should we interpret cases like that where opposition figures are being brought to trial without strong evidentiary grounds against them? Is this likely to be an initiative of police and prosecutors themselves or or is it more likely to reflect pressure from other parts of the government on those institutions to bring these cases? I definitely don't have a clear answer on on that question. But if we look at how the police deal with those cases, what I can say is that in some of the cases, it was lack of evidence. And it's also fail in trying to balance between the due process of law that the police did with the principles of freedom of expression, for example. So in the cases of Treason, for example, like uh, people yelling in a demonstration and then police uh, accuse them for doing a treason over the president. Police have made treason arrests in connection both with the anti-Ahok protests in 2016 and also with protests against the 2019 election result. But in such cases, I think the evidence has been very poorly to actually accuse them of doing treason because the element of crime are not sufficiently provided. But police more doing act in the favors of trying to make the situation more stable. That's their justification. And I think sadly, the public in general seems favorable on how the police react in some cases because this type of act by the police is the one that actually quite popular currently. And because of that, there is lack of pressure to act more objectively. So you're saying that, I guess, in a circumstance that Indonesia has faced 
over the past week or so where we've had these large protests, large violent protests really against the result of the election, that the public has been quite happy for the police to be flexible in their application of the law as long as it brings out a stable outcome. Yeah, and it's uh, it's have a great risk for the future of uh, law enforcement implementation and the rule of law because you provide flexibility for the police to do whatever they want, if I may say it like that now. But it actually impacts each of the individuals of citizen. We have already seen such thing happen in the past where the public in general favor to some of the cases where corruption happened but in some other cases can actually corruption activists can be also accused as corruptors so in such cases i think the public in general still act more based on populism rather than uh, looking at more objectively which i can also say it's normal but I think civil society has to be act more objectively in looking at such cases to ensure that in the future the flexibility that given to the police or the prosecutors should be avoided in the future. Sure, sure. Uh, Tita, there's still a lot more I could ask you, but I'm afraid we're <laughs> well and truly out of time. Thanks so much for sharing your yeah. insights with Thank us. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you. That was Dian Rositoati, chair of the board of the Indonesian Institute for an Independent Judiciary, LEIP. Talk Indonesia returns on the 13th of June with my co-host, Dr. Gemma Purdy. Until then, as always, you can access the entire archive of episodes at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, this has been the Talk Indonesia podcast. Bye for now. 